Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, Senior Partner at TSG, Colin Smart. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of our podcast, TSG Talk. On many of our podcasts, we explore the unique challenges of providing medical care in complex environments. And today is no exception. Providing medical care as part of a mountain rescue team provides many challenges for the personnel involved. Today, we will learn about their work and how they address this work with the aim of producing optimal casualty care. We're privileged tonight to talk with Dr. Alistair Morris, Medical Director, Mountain Rescue, England and Wales. So um, good good afternoon, Alistair. How, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Colin. Um, I'm doing very well yourself. Yes, yes. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, it's fantastic to have you um, on, on this afternoon. I'm very much looking forward to, to our conversation. Just um, before we go into the subject tonight, uh, could you just give our listeners a little bit of your own background of, you know, what you do and uh, on, on a day job and, and also maybe your, your background with, with Mountain Rescue as well? Yeah, so my day job is I'm a, a consultant paediatrician uh, working at uh, Halifax Hospital in West Yorkshire, um, mostly working uh, now down in the A&E department. Um, beyond that, I've been a member of the, my local mountain rescue team, which is called the Valley Search and Rescue Team, um, since... Uh, the last 10 years um, and provide medical care um, throughout our own, own team. Um, I then got involved um, with a couple of cave rescues um, through, through the cave rescue organisation and then more recently I became medical director for the national organisation which is our umbrella organisation covering all 47 mountain rescue teams in England and Wales uh, and therefore manage the sort of medical side of, of the provision that our mountain rescue teams give across the country. Oh, fantastic. And that's incredibly varied uh, what, what, what you're doing. Um, just with looking at the, obviously being medical director of uh, Mountain Rescue England and Wales, could, could you just give us an idea of the, the, the types of scenarios you probably have to oversee and, and, and I suppose manage as well to an extent and, and some of the skills that you have to bring into mountain rescue to try and get the, the best patient care possible. And I think the, the main part of my role is, is to look at the sort of medical training within mountain rescue. Across the country, we've got, as I said, 47 teams, 3,000 volunteers. We can't always guarantee to get a healthcare professional on scene to every job. Uh, we're all volunteers. We have day jobs. Um, we can't always make it out on every call out. Therefore, the core of what we del deliver in terms of medical care on the hill is given by our casualty carers. And that's a, around about a thousand people at the moment uh, across the country who are trained in a, a level of advanced medic, uh, sort of first aid to provide quite sort of, well, provide really good quality medical care. 
in both mountain and cave environments across the country to a level probably equivalent with a sort of emergency medical technician, stroke paramedic with, with various medications as, and pain relief, as well as uh, the practical skills involved in managing the majority of the illnesses and injuries that we see in the mountains. Well, it's, it's quite, it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a big organ. I mean, to say you've got 47 teams and 3,000 volunteers, that's not an insignificant organisation, purely on voluntary um, levels as well, which is, I mean, I, I think it's really important to see it at the beginning is just have, having met some of your team members and, and wider mountain rescue teams, the professionalism your your, your colleagues bring to this is, is, I've always found absolutely outstanding. And then the enthusiasm to do the absolutely best job they can is is absolutely outstanding. And I, I think it's so commendable that this is done done on a voluntary basis. Uh, yeah, I think we, we like to think of ourselves as sort of volunteer professionals and mm-hmm. say, you know, we have a number of range of skills that, you know, speed ground rescue, vertical rescue, um, water rescue, search, and, um, you know, that we bring the whole piece to the table. And, and then really the rescue and the medical care, I like to think, is, is part of the same package. So it's not just about putting the splint on. It's not just about giving the pain relief. It's then thinking about the extraction and all the other technical sides of the rescue. And effectively, you know, the, the 3,000 volunteers, you know, everybody's on pretty much on call 24-7. Um, we'll turn out at 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever time that the call comes in. And over usually over a year, there's probably only between three or five days that a, a mountain rescue team isn't called out across the whole country. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, th- that um, commitment your teams are given at a voluntary level is absolutely huge. And, and again, to go back to what I said a minute ago, it's so commendable. One, the, the hours and the, the, the concentration of what you're doing, but the professionalism that yourself and colleagues are bringing is absolutely outstanding. Um, and I would say to any listeners, if you ever see a mountain rescue team, at maybe a, a fundraising stand or on the hill, have a chat to them because their enthusiasm is infectious. I mean, every time I talk to them, you, you, you come away energised um absolutely yeah i mean they really are quite a unique bunch of individuals and i also find they're hugely caring as well um and and their outlook to what they do so yeah yeah. i mean most of us are outdoor people we've we've been in the mountains many years that's how i got into mountain rescue and you know we want to give something back we've always accepted that that mountain rescue are there for us but now Mm -hmm. it's the other way around and if you look at the you know the busyness of some of the teams you take a clamberis team probably our busiest team up in the 220, 230 call-outs mm. a year last year, which is a, you know, every virtually every weekend, mm. multiple call-outs. It's, it's a big commitment for people with, with, with families at home um, mm. who are willing to put up with, with somebody going out on a call-out again for many hours. Yeah, yeah. And obviously some of your call-outs are not probably in the nicest of weather as well, I would think. So uh... It's usually not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just talking about the... The, the, obviously, we've covered the size of the the, the organisation you are. I mean, it, I, I can imagine this. You, your responses are hugely diverse. But is there a is there a sort of standard type of incident you would respond to? What would be the most likely thing? You is, is that I'm not sure you can answer that question. But is is there a sort of um, what would be the most prevalent thing you have to respond to um, for most teams? I mean, probably across the board from a medical perspective, mm-hmm. we're looking at lower limb injuries, mm-hmm. uh, either a break or a sprain that is enough to stop somebody um, making forward progress. And that will 
probably covers well over half our medical medical call outs. Um, beyond that, probably you, you, you sort of lost walkers and, and misplaced people and probably make up another significant uh, majority of the call outs. The themes cover a wide range. You know, we're uh, in West Yorkshire, we're more of a moorland fell team. Um, and we've done rescues in the middle of parks in the centre of town with quite significant injuries, um, you know, fractured femurs and fractured hips and things in, in bad conditions um, to, to the sort of more wilder fells. Whereas, um, you know, the Lakes teams or the North Wales teams that are covering big mountains, um, maybe more longer pro prolonged rescues um, to people higher up in the mountains that need, need a, a greater level of extraction. And do, do your teams ever drift into other types of uh, rescue? I mean, I'm just thinking we, we, we both live in Calderdale with, with the flooding. Um, and, and obviously we've now got wildfires popping up quite a lot. Did you ever get in, involved in, in areas like that at all? So virtually all teams now have a, a water rescue element. Um, our team's got around 10 or 12 swift water rescue technicians. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a number of uh, other trained people, drivers, and, and trained people to work around water within the team. So we will we will get involved in flooding, the flooding in the valley. Certainly, there were there were times um, the Boxing Day floods in 2015. The team was very much involved, and we, well, I mean, we extracted somebody fr with, a, with from the bottom of the valley using a helicopter because because the ambulances just couldn't get there. So. Teams are often involved, often involved in the sort of regional planning and the sort of sort of bronze and silver groups. We're involved with snow, so often we'll um, put up a shift system to help the ambulance service during bad weather events and take that patients from their homes to the ambulance so that they can for the onward journey to the hospital. Uh, from a fire perspective, we don't get involved in fighting the fires. We can support um, the fire service. Um, mostly getting people to and to and from the the um, sort of fire edge and 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 managing sort of watching and and, and keeping an eye out for fires uh, re-emerging and things like that. So we can provide some extra assistance when when required. Yeah, and I think what that's telling me is just again there you're you're already sat on multiple skills and and that's just increasing the skill base you've got, but also increasing the the service you give to the local communities as well. Um, Absolutely, and that, that's what the teams are about. You know, mm -hmm. we've all got different teams in different areas, and we're very much about our own local communities. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've got quite a diverse population. You know, we, our area covers Bradford, Leeds, so some very inner city areas. Mm -hmm. um, so, and we will get involved in searches in the middle of cities as well in wow. Parkland, mm -hmm. from uh, to the to the wider area, more in the the, the what you see more traditional mm -hmm. um, walkers and hikers area in in the in the Calder Valley. Yeah. So again, I suppose although although you're kind of called mountain rescue, there, there's so much more to it uh, from from what yeah. you're saying. Uh, I mean, it's the you you really are covering all the aspects of non-technical to technical rescue from 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 what you're saying. It which which sounds you know, I, I, it's, it, it sounds incredibly um, motivating just being able to provide that service and, and again on, on a voluntary level. Absolutely, and I think you know we do so many things in in life. Sort of where we where we need to we'll get paid for work, and actually giving something back for free mm. is is and I think I would never want to go away from that from a mountain mm. rescue perspective. I think that's mm. the the sort of real core of what we do is, mm. and I think you, you add in the rescue time. You know, our team gets what eighty call outs a year roughly, um, and then you add in the training every Tuesday night. You add in the maintenance. You add in the 
the administrative side of it. You add in the, the fundraising as well, because we're all completely charitable funded. So we have to raise out in 50,000 a year just to keep ourselves running every year. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the same team members. We're all expected to take part in that. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a bigger commitment outside the actual bit we enjoy doing, which is enjoying do, going to do the rescues. Yeah, which adds to the to say you're doing this on a voluntary level, but you're also raising your own funds as well. It adds to the commitment that, that your teams are given, uh, which yeah. again goes back to saying what, what an amazing effort for, for you know to provide such a professional service, but <clears> at <throat> such a voluntary level. Um, yeah, and we, we, we have supporters that aren't, as part of most teams, that aren't hill-going, but support the team and in our activities. And, and you know, our team's got a number of search dogs and they need training as well. And the search, the people that have the search dog handlers put in twice as much training, if not more, probably far more than that, mm-hmm. um, to, to train their search dogs up. And, and so there's, there's extra uh, for some team members as well. Yeah, wow. Impre- very impressive and, and so commendable. Uh, just um, one of the questions we, offer, we, we ask all of our guests is... Um, we, we find most people sometimes have sort of unique stories from from their rescues that they've always they've, they've learned something from. And any sort of unique stories that you could go back with your own experience that you've maybe picked up one or two lessons that that, that you could talk about. I mean, I think the bulk of the the, the rescues that we, I think the, the real key to the way the team works is is the range of experience, and I'm. And, and the ability for the, the whole team to pull together to, mm-hmm. to, to, to focus on a single single task. Um, and, th- and I think nothing typifies that more than some of the cave rescues that I've done. So mm-hmm. um, the South, South Wales uh, cave rescue in 2021, where we had a, a, a chap who was severely injured uh, and took 54 hours to get him to mm-hmm. the surface. Um, with a very successful rescue with over 300 volunteers. And I think that's, I mean, that was a, a level of both high level of medical care. Um, <laughs> I came in on the end towards the end of the rescue because just to provide some, some, and some more support for the, to the doctors shift, mm. following around shifts, but also the, the, the sheer volume of, of personnel required to move one person through a, a, a cave system was just phenomenal. And, the, and I think it was a mix of, a very severely injured casualty, plus the the banter and the mm. the the keeping everybody's spirits up, including mm. the casualties, because he didn't yeah. knew a lot of the rescuers, because because cavers rescue cavers, so it's a very mm. small world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as he was moved physically across the top of most most of the other group of the pet cavers, really, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and everyone's saying hello to him as they went past. I think mean, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a real special moment looking down a, a pitch as he was coming up. As he was slid across everyone's knees and uh, on a rope, and it was just an amazing experience mm. to see, you know, 60, 70 rescuers all move, aiming for the same mm. same goal at that point. Yeah, I remember um, actually in one of our previous podcasts we interviewed uh, Dr. Brendan Sloan, who, who was also oh, yes. yeah, and, yes. and and he, he talked about the details of that rescue, which, which has got to be one of the rescues, as to say, fifty plus hours, three hundred volunteers, and. I think the thing I got from it was how successful that rescue was, given the severity of the of the patient's injuries, and they were significant. Um, yeah. And he's now back living a high-quality life. 
Um, and I think he's actually joined the, the, the cave rescue team as well, if I understand. He, he has, yeah. 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 And he's getting back underground <laughs> again now. So. Yeah. Um, fantastic. But the th- big thing I took from that is probably what shone through was, was the culture of the organization, the banter, the pulling together for the, 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 the goal of successful patient care, the compassion that they brought to it. But I think what probably gelled that whole thing together was that unified culture. And I think, and I think, you know, that because we've all all been in mountainous, dangerous situations, you know, I've been involved in, you know, rescues from my own, own friends from my Alpine days, so I know it from the other side. We've all we all know how how frightening it is to be involved in an, even a minor injury mm. in a wild and remote place mm. that you suddenly feel extremely vulnerable. And the focus then becomes the, the everybody's focus becomes the casualty, and it's all about sort of working together to get that casualty to a safe location, and you know, sort of you know, and and some very sick casualties from hypothermic arrests that we've had locally, um, that was managed by our casualty carers um, with full CPR and flown out and and, and, and successful um outcome and i think that the the real thing for me is there's so many different levels happening there's the the control area which i think in the bigger picture do we need to get helicopters in do we need to how what where are we going to extract to where are we going to move the ambulance to for the people on the 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 hill who were maybe setting up the rope for a lower or or a hall whilst the medical care is going on at the front end and we're making sure that kits go in, in and out and there's, there's so many different parts to play in a rescue that that you can't really sort of underestimate the sheer volume of people that's required Mm -hmm. people often see and you know we turn up with four vehicles with 20 odd people for what sounds like a relatively small injury in in an easy location but it does take that many you know Mm -hmm. even carrying a stretcher is eight people plus another eight to swap in and out to Mm -hmm. to keep us keep the stretcher moving and and get a decent extraction Mm -hmm. and you know, and we can call on other teams. So it, we had some individuals that got lost on the top of the moor near us at the top, um, over near Top Withens, four of them. And we had enough to be able to walk them out together, but we don't, weren't sure that we were going to be able to walk them out. And actually, we then called on the neighbouring four teams to, to provide personnel in case we needed to stretch a four people out because mm-hmm. um, we just didn't have that as in, within our own um personnel that were available that night yeah it, i mean i think what i'm picking up from that as well is that um the, the resource required for fairly simple uh, or perceived simple um rescues is significant because there's got to be a lot of diversity of skill for for the skills you're trying to cover you know from from the pure rescue point of view uh, and then there's the unknown of what it is you're going to face have we have we got four walking casualties or have we got four stretcher casualties um and, and trying to plan for that resource where you know your your time to get to those people takes a lot of time as well. It's it's going to be difficult. You could, there's a lot of what ifs to to what you're trying to get hold of. So there is, and I think it's all about having tools in the toolbox. And we've all got different skill sets. Some of us have got more strengths in one area than another area, and it's deploying those those skills to think right. Okay, I'm going to leave you to sort that problem out while we sort this bigger problem out mm-hmm. of of number of personnel or. You know, the snow means we can't get the vehicles to the right location, so we need to dig out or, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and then things just throw themselves up in front of you and you have to make decisions 
to to adapt and that and, and mm-hmm. so we have the basic skill set but then it's mm-hmm. adapting that skill set to to our location and, and mm-hmm. that rescue yeah. and i don't think there's there's any two rescues that, that are even closely the same mm-hmm. even in the same location there's always something that makes mm-hmm. a difference yeah yeah i can imagine just just moving on from that adaptability as well i mean what and again, as you say, there's such a diversity of rescues that that you 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 you, you tend to uh, go to. Well, what are the sort of challenges medically? Obviously, we're taking medicine out of a comfort zone where many of our colleagues would work. I mean, it, it, could could you maybe define what some of the challenges are to to give up them and care? And with and and again, there's such a diversity of places that you operate in. Uh, but on the general, more sort of specific mountain rescue type environment, what what would be the challenges medically that you you you, you would be faced? Um, I mean, probably the main thing that we bring to the, particularly from a medical perspective for a casualty on the hill, is is around analgesia and pain relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both in terms of reducing their you know physical pain. Um, reducing their anxiety, reducing the, the, the world of fear that they're in at that point, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and then they've got to be extracted and moved, which is going to cause further pain. So we do carry a range of, of <coughs> drugs on the hill from simple analgesics to stronger, more complex analgesics. Um, we have a, a very unique license in the UK that allows us to use uh, stronger analgesics. Um, and that's, that's allowed for, for anybody with the, the casualty care certificate, um, and that can be delivered on the hill directly to those those casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 do use gases such as entonox, and we're, we're, we're trialling penthrox at the moment mm-hmm. as an option, mm-hmm. uh, just from a, a weight perspective. Uh, and then we've got um, morphine and fentanyl, which we use as our our sort of primary uh, pain relief drugs for the more mm-hmm. severe pain relief. And that does allow us to do. You know, if there's a critical limb or from a blood supply, neurovascular supply, we can re- reset that limb if necessary um, in on situ and then save that limb effectively. Mm-hmm. We also carry, you know, if you've got an open fracture, we carry antibiotics to start the treatment early. Okay. Um, but we can then try, you know, carry a range of other drugs that we can deal with and, and dealing with the side effects of those drugs mm-hmm. that we are carrying. And that's, that's really interesting because I think being able to take that pain away just it's a win-win for everybody, isn't it? It gives you a more manageable patient, but so taking somebody out of suffering so we can start to manage them. Uh, we, as you see, you've got the uniqueness of the license and being able to give those drugs in the hills got got to make a huge difference. Absolutely, and we don't, un, un, you know, we un, we really reinforce the the power of non-pharmacological methods of mm-hmm. of pain relief as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just I suppose, a little bit back to that banter, a little bit back mm-hmm. to the. Chatting to the patient, mm-hmm. keeping the patient, you know, getting their mood, you know, all the psychological effects of pain, mm-hmm. and, and improving their mood. You know, even the use of our, our search dogs. You know, dogs mm-hmm. are great distractor for patients and, mm-hmm. and reduce your pain pain relief load. Yeah. So, you know, we can we, we deploy a whole load of things before we get towards the drugs. But mm-hmm. you know, absolutely, there's nothing better than being able to provide somebody some analgesics in a situation mm-hmm. where they're you know in a uh, they've got a significant injury that they mm-hmm. they. They, 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 and a prolonged rescue to get out mm-hmm. from there. Yeah, no, fantastic. You know, what, I've, what I found really interesting, um, and you you said one of the areas is reducing fear as well and, and using the, the non-pharmaceutical issues for, for reducing pain. This is something we, we're finding in so many of our podcasts. We've, um, we've interviewed quite a few seriously injured people. And the one thing 
we said to them, what 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 would be the advice you could give a rescuer um, that would be most important if they were to improve your rescue or, or replicate what they did to the standard that they did it to? And it's never a technical skill. It's they mm-hmm. always say, I wanted to feel confident uh, and I wanted to feel that they were in charge of what they did and I was safe. Um, and this is replicated time and time again um, from everybody that we talked to. And it was quite interesting when we were Inter- uh, interviewing your colleague uh, Brendan Sloan and also another f- of your colleagues Dave Whitmore um, oh, yes. so they both said the same thing often some of the injuries you're dealing with there's not a lot of input you can do but being able to give that reassurance that calmness um, they, they, they thought that was one of the major things they could always bring into medicine so you're right I, sometimes yes we have to bring our technical skills but I think that this soft touch and uh, the, the very human touch skills. And it's really interesting about dogs. I, I never, I've never thought of that one, but I, I get it. Um, yeah, I can see why that can just, again, create calmness, improve the environment. Uh, it's very, very interesting. But this is something every time we hear, it's that these non-technical skills are probably, and they're almost uh, the bedside manner would, would be one of the most important things we can bring to the scene. So, I mean, you've just reinforced that again. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, our cats carers are absolutely fantastic at, at, at having that bedside skill, reassuring the patient. You know, the patient's going to have to give themselves over completely to our control. You know, mm-hmm. they're on a stretch of straps. They can't move. Mm-hmm. We've got complete control over them and they've got to have faith and trust in us mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, the rescue is going to be 10 times harder. Yeah. So we need to give that. And I think also, you know, the environment we're in is a, you know, as you said before, you know, we go out in the worst conditions. We don't go out on like, you mm-hmm. know, we do go out on hot sunny days, but most mm-hmm. of the time it's not in the best conditions. So being able to remove somebody from that environment. So we mm-hmm. use the storm shelters or the boffy bags, yep. pull over the casualty and the cas carer. And suddenly that wind, the rain, the snow has all gone. They're mm-hmm. in a nice warm environment, you know, protected from the outside in their own little bubble. Mm-hmm. And we can manage everything. Everything calms down at that mm-hmm. point. They feel safer. Analgesia mm-hmm. requirement reduces. Mm-hmm. And then once we're ready, we move them straight over into our stretcher. We now winter cars bags with the warm, with thermal back, uh, thermal management. And then they're straight on the stretcher and out from there. So, you know, it's very much a case of, of you know, and even the sort of, you know, the other team members and the chatter that's going on, getting everything ready are all a little bit further away from the casualty. So they're, 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 they've got one yeah. thing to concentrate on. Yeah, so, so I suppose what I'm picking up from there is you you, 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 you don't have to rush this, do you? Um, I mean, obviously, that some of that will be dictated by the urgency of the patient, but it's all about trying to get the environment in a controlled place, take, taking you away from the adversity of the environment, making that a bubble, and then creating calmness all the way through the rescue. That would seem Absolutely. to be the things that are underpinning what you're trying to do. And, and probably it's the uniqueness of bringing good medicine to austere places. Um, again, I've talked to other colleagues who work in sort of in different environments around the world, austere. That seems to be a trait as well um, about trying to get you into a better place where we've got better control, but calming everything down, making considered decisions and then moving. That that seems to be a trait that comes out quite a lot. Absolutely. And splitting the sort of the casualty care from within the within the the, the boffy bag from the fell party leader who's outside making the decisions about extraction and and routes out and who's going to carry what. I think that really helps as well. I mean, obviously, information flow between the two, 
but actually, you know, it's not all down to the person at the front end with the casualty making the decisions about how they're going to be carrying down the hill. That can be left to everybody else outside. And I think, you know, it's it's doing the real basics right. And and I think, you know, from what, you know, we carry a lot of specialised medical equipment, we carry a lot of, you know, medications, but actually, you know, even the simple things, back to keeping somebody warm, you know, we know that even mild hypothermia causes significantly increased mortality in, in, mm-hmm. in major trauma. So even, you know, we all carry a personal buffy bag in our rucksack. So whoever finds the patient first, that's straight over. And that thermal management, that's part, you know, that casualty care is part of the, the rescue. So it's mm-hmm. all part of this from, from, from the non-medically trained people. They can start the casualty care by keeping the casualty warm. And we've looked at, you know, we've discussed whether, because environment is such an important part of our, our, our rescues. Actually, if you stick to the A, B, C, D, E, pathway then the environment's right at the bottom hmm. actually that probably needs to be at the top or over encompassing the whole of the abcd um assessment primary survey yeah i think that i think that's really important and i suppose looking back in my own experience you, you you can't do good care when when you're getting battered from all sides by whatever environment you're working in it doesn't matter no. how skillful you are you can only and i and i think probably the secret to if i've picked up anything over the years is that the best care you can give is, is by creating the best envi- the, the best control within your environment that you work in. And sometimes it will never be perfect, but you can make it as good as possible. And if you can make that bubble that you create as good as possible, then you've got the chance of applying your skills to whatever level you're working at. And it's, a, I, it's expanding that bandwidth you've got, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. you're so narrowed down by the by your environment that you, your bandwidth is mm. so narrow that you yeah. can only think about a few things, mm-hmm. then you're not going to give good medical care. As soon as yeah. you expand that bandwidth, yeah. you take control of the environment. Mm-hmm. It, it allows you to to think more laterally, to think more of other mm. other things that you may want to do in the treatment, yeah. rather than rather than you know just sticking to the to the the core of what you're doing or missing something. Um, so yeah, it's expanding that bandwidth. I think. Yeah. taking control yeah no i think that that's that's so important and uh, as i say it's some I, I think it just reinforces what we learn from so many other people who work in 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 austere remote more or more remote locations that it's it is controlling where you are to the best of the ability then apply in your care and i suppose if, if people were looking to get into mountain rescue medicine that's probably one of the big lessons isn't it how do you take your environment and make it conducive to good care um yeah and, and as I say, I really like the phrase you used, expanding band, bandwidth, because you know yourself when when you're getting hit with, you know, good old horizontal cold day rain or snow, you, you can't, you, you're thinking about other things as opposed to patient care. There's, you, you're very narrow in your thought process. Get out of that bandwidth improves. And I, I do like that phrase, in, improving bandwidth or expanding bandwidth. I think it's, it's a very good way of um, pulling that together. Yeah, and I think, you know, we are all, you know, we're all rescuers to start off with. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't join the team as a doctor. They didn't want, you know, they didn't actually want a doctor at that point in time. They had a doctor and they had paramedics. They didn't need me um, from my medical skills, but from my mountaineering skills. And uh, they did want the, my skill set. So, and we're all trained to be a rescuer as the first, first instance. And actually, you know, that, that's a full year's training to get to being a full rescuer. And, and, and it's all about taking control of that environment, managing that environment, managing the risk and risk dynamic risk assessment. And I think, you know, I don't get that hands-on with many casualties as a, as, a, as a doctor within the team because I don't need to because I've got 
fantastic calcareers that can do the bulk of the work. I'm there to support them, but it's quite nice just to be, um, you know, rest, uh, a stretch carrier or you know carrying yeah. kit and then provide support when I need it. And it's all and it's all about that. We're all multi-skilled. Some of us have got extra skill sets. And it's actually pulling that all together to to maximise. I suppose maximise the bandwidth by everybody for for that environment. Yeah, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense. Just just moving away from the the rescue and the medical skills for a second. If anybody wanted to get involved, um, either from a rescue, the medical, or, or the or the, the administration, the fundraising side of mountain rescue, how how do they go about actually contributing to it? What what would be the the routes that they go into? So, um, it's finding out which area you you're in, um, and, and finding out who your local mountain rescue team is. Um, so if you go to the Mountain Rescue England and Wales website, uh, which is mountain.rescue.org.uk, they, there's a map of the country and where all rescue teams cover. Um, and it's, if you've got a local rescue team, uh, they'll have their own website. And then each team have their own um, sort of recruitment process. Um, some teams open for certain periods when you can recruit um, some teams are open all the time and then have an annual recruitment, um, a sort of recruitment day and a, and, a, and a hill assessment day. There'll be a, there'll be a contact on every team's website, um, for, for inquiries. And if you're interested in getting involved either as a, a to become a rescuer or to become, um, a, a supporter for the team, uh, just drop the team a line and, and offer your skills up and. Um, some some teams have a specific area where you can volunteer to become a team member, and it, it sends your form to fill in. No, but we'll, uh, what we'll do is we'll um, when we post the the pod, uh, we'll uh, we'll pop that on the LinkedIn and and all the other channels that that we use as well. And I suppose yeah. the other question is, uh, if somebody wants to give you lots of money to to help fund your team, is is there an easy way to do that? There's most teams you can donate through the the, the, uh, the again through the uh, the website, their own team websites okay. or Facebook pages. Okay. Or just contact the team directly. So I check in, check in the post. We get quite a lot of checks in post. Okay, fantastic. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners. Have have not seen your own setup on various other teams through the country. These are not inexpensive uh, organisations for what you have to do. And as we said before, this is purely voluntary. And it's not just if you go on a mountain, you might need the mountain rescue team. There's so much diversity of what you do. So um, if you're looking to give a charitable donation. Giving it to your local mountain executive wouldn't be a bad thing. So let's let, let's uh, let's push a bit of fundraising for you as as we as we chat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, just just to finish um, our discussion um, today, which has been absolutely fantastic. It's a question we ask every um, guest on TSG Talk, uh, and we've never had the same answer. But if you were to take one piece of medical equipment with you in the vast place in the vast majority of places that you would go, what what do you think it would be? Well, it's a good question, Matt. It's a great um, question. <laughs> I suppose where you define medical equipment, for you, me, you, you, you can define that bossy yeah. bag. It's back to that okay. shelter. Okay, that shelter. Is, that is my absolute. I don't. I. I've spent many years, you know, mm. many years in the mountains carrying mm. survival bags and you know, little thin plastic things, and they're just they're just useless. Really, they just blow mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. The the shelter is absolutely the key piece of kit. Mm-hmm. If you could keep somebody warm. You know, particularly then and, and sheltered from the from the, the outside environment, that the world becomes a better place. Mm-hmm. And I can't really deliver medical care. We're very good at 
stocking clothes off. We're not very mm-hmm. good at putting them back on again mm-hmm. and yeah. keeping people warm in a, in, a, in a pre-hospital environment mm-hmm. outside of mountain rescue. Mm-hmm. We're much better in mountain rescue and putting that shelter on. That makes sense. It's really interesting when we ask people this question, um, we find the the answer does go sort of go into three blocks. We have people, some colleagues who go purely clinical and, and bits of kit. We have other colleagues who go knowledge-based that they might want to take a specific book with them or, or access to information. And probably where this one sits is more management-based, where it's seen management. Um, and it's definitely breaking that so far nobody's given the same answer uh, 15 pods in. Everybody's different, which which is good. Um, but they, they tend to go into those three blocks um, yeah. of, of clinical, educational, or knowledge, or scene management. Um, and I would think yours probably sits under scene management. Yeah, yeah I, and I think, you know, I do some pre-hospital work um, with the York, West Yorkshire Medic Response Team on, on the trauma car, and I think, you know, it's a bit of kit that I'd like to see get on the trauma car that mm-hmm. we can, you know, that scene management even at a roadside mm-hmm. from an RTC is, the, it, you know, it again makes like I've, I've used my bossy bag with a uh, um, a child that was knocked down in the street not far from where I live. And, mm-hmm. you know, it made it all much so much better for her just to have that taken away from that noisy environment outside. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's going back to what you were saying, is controlling your environment, expanding your bandwidth. Um, and I've, I've, I've had similar circumstances myself. We, uh, I talked about this in a previous pod. We had a rugby player um, at the end of last season. We had a three-hour wait in an ambulance. Mm. We were able to put we, – we had one of the little blow-up shelters, the Wrigloos, which were fantastic. Yeah. But we completely had his environment um, in place. And to have him three hours on the ground, we kept him comfortable – um we, we we again we had a passive active heating going on him uh but we we had a shelter and it didn't yeah. really matter what hit us for that three hours we were we were ready for it so and again the bothy bag it's something i certainly carry uh, anytime on my mountain bike it's it's a core piece of kit because if we take an injury if somebody is exposed for any length of time there's very little we can do to 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 try and make a shelter i, I think trying to improvise a shelter i've never found it done that well especially when you're under stress and trying to do it well. Um, yeah, and I've been, I mean, you know, you, you sort of, you think about things in the big mountains, but I, I, I was on a adventure race in, in Bakup, not a million miles away in the mm-hmm. Pennines, and the weather was, it went from sun to thunder to snow to sleet to rain. So it was that mix of rain and wind and wet and cold. And by the time I got on the bike, yeah, it was a total five-hour race, I couldn't feel my hands and I could only change gear with my wrists. And even getting off the bike to, to do the checkpoint, I was getting cold and I had nothing spare with me. I didn't have a bit, I had a, I had a thin survival bag. And if I, a mechanical anything, I'd have mm. been in a bad place. And yeah. I sort of woke up a little bit after that, actually. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the small bothy bags, they're only the size of, a, you know, cricket ball, something like that, mm-hmm. for a two-person bothy bag. Yeah. They don't take up any space. So, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big point, but we'll uh, we'll stress if if you if you think you need shelter, make sure you've got it, and sure. and and don't try and improvise it when everything's going against you. It's it's never that well done, and never really no. works. And your no. bandwidth, and again, I'm going to back to bandwidth because I think you've got a great word. You but if you don't get that shelter right, your bandwidth is narrowing, and therefore your patient care is not as good as it should be. Uh, Absolutely, which is which is a massive thing. Um, just before we really conclude this afternoon is there any other anything else you'd like to to cover at all any other areas in mountain rescue that we've not covered uh, during this afternoon 
I mean, I suppose I'd, I'd like to just the only other area outside the medical is our search capability. Because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you've got an injury, then we need to be able to find you. Or if 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 you're lost, or you know, somebody who's got dementia, or that side of the team. So we have a number of trained search plan search planners in mm-hmm. the teams who can plan and and and, and deliver a search. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are other tools that we can use and and. Being able to provide your location is really useful. Um, so the the OS locate app on, onto your phone gives you a, a six or ten figure grid reference, which you can give over the phone to us. Alternatively, most all the teams can can contact you uh, by text using either Sarlock or Phone Find, which will allow you to re- if you respond to that, it will provide us your exact location. Okay. So if you do get a text from us, it's mm-hmm. not just to say hello; it's uh, right. to find where you are. Good, good. No, I think that's important. As I say, search takes time, and if we know exactly where you are, it's it. We get to you. You, you get to us quicker. Um, Absolutely. So that's you. And again, we'll we'll note this on the on our various social media pages when we when we put the pod up no that that's absolutely fantastic so i've learned so much from uh, from our conversation this afternoon i think i think what i've picked up is that mountain rescue is not just mountain rescue there's a massive diversity of what you do um you've got you you know you've got all your envi- environmental responses you, you can have uh, urban responses you've got all your traditional mountain rescue skills as such it's a hugely diverse area um it's hugely equipment and and um, people intensive, um, and that uh, level, the people you bring to the scene bring a huge diversity of skills for a successful rescue. I should say, with the cave rescue, fifty four hours and three hundred people, and they were all used, and they all brought individual contributions to that. So I think the diversity of what you do is something I've probably never quite realised until I talked to more mountain rescue people. I always thought mountain rescue was classic mountain rescue it's so much more for that and i think if any of our listeners would like to get involved i think that's important to remember that there's so much more you you bring to, your resource brings to the local community um and and that needs support and, and and i think if we can encourage everybody to support mountain rescue as much as possible because you know ultimately somebody may you know you might need them anybody might need them it's they're, they're worth funding correctly so that that's the big thing i picked up from the, the initial parts of a conversation. And I think the big thing I picked up, um, and I, I'd like to use this phrase quite a lot as, as I, I look at the area wider, is expand, having the ability to expand bandwidth by, by controlling our environment. I think that's such a good way to explain probably the difference when we take medicine to remote places as opposed to when, we take, when we're working in more civilised environments. We need to look at where we are and then work out how to control that. Because once we control that environment, we get to think a bit more laterally and, and make Absolutely. better decisions. And using expanding bandwidth, is a, a, that's a very simple way to say it, but I, I think it gets across a lot. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd like to use that quite a lot. More than welcome. <laughs> uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Luke, thank you, uh, Alistair, so much for your, for your time today. It's been absolutely wonderful to, to talk about the work that you do, the work your team does, um, both at a local and, and a national level. It has been hugely interesting to learn about it. Um, if you would like to obviously learn any more about the subject tonight, we'll put all the various links we talked about throughout the podcast this afternoon onto our various social media sites. Uh, and obviously, if you would like to volunteer for Mountain Rescue or contribute 
any funds to them or, or, or give any resources to them, we'll, we'll make sure those links are put up as well. But again, just like to say thank you so much for, for your time this afternoon. Um, I found it hugely interesting and, um, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll we'll touch base fairly soon next time I, I visit you at, at the at the Mountain Rescue Centre. Yeah, and I uh, thank you very much for your time as well. It's been, no, it's been, been a pleasure. Good to reflect on things, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And for our wider listeners, uh, thank you for, for listening in. Um, we'll be back very soon with another u- unique subject and an individual at TSU Talk. So we'll we'll look forward to uh, working with you again. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.